welcome to the UGA BCM podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the UGA BCM right on campus in Athens, Georgia. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. And we're going to jump right into the text tonight. I told you we're going to talk about this idea of who is Jesus. We're jumping right into that tonight. And tonight we're going to answer the question of who is Jesus by really starting a two-week answer to this question. And we're going to see tonight that Jesus is the son of David. That Jesus is the son of David. If you look in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 17, what you find is that Jesus gives us the lineage or the genealogy of, or excuse me, Matthew gives us the lineage or the genealogy of Jesus. And what he does there for us is he points us back to ultimately that Jesus uh, comes through the lineage of David. Now, what you may know is that there's another genealogy and lineage of Jesus, which you find in Luke. And Luke does the same thing. Those, those, uh, the, the, the lineage there is different. And some people sort of freak out and panic about that. I don't want you to freak out and panic about it because there's a different purpose in what they're writing. Most uh, Bible scholars will tell you that what Luke is doing is tracking that back through Mary. And uh, what Matthew is doing is tracking that back uh, through, uh, through Joseph. All right? And so you're going to be like, well, Joseph, hold on. Joseph, uh, I thought it was Jesus, like, is God's son. Joseph's the adopted guy. Like, how's that work with getting back to David? Well, hold tight. We'll get there tonight, okay? We'll get there. It'll make sense. So anyways, that's where we're going to be tonight. We're going to start this. It's funny. Last year we started in Genesis chapter 1. This year we're starting in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1. So why are we asking ourselves the question, who is Jesus? Well, we're simply asking that question because the truth of the matter is, is that our faith rises and falls on the veracity of the claims of Jesus, particularly the claims that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ. And so the problem is, is that the first thing that you got to do is figure out who Jesus is if you're going to do anything with this faith that we call Christianity. I mean, to be a Christian literally means to be a little Christ. That's actually what that word means means and so when we think about in our lives who jesus is like if we're wrong about who jesus is then every bit of hope that we have for this life and the next is out the door right if jesus was a liar we got a problem right if jesus was just a crazy guy who thought he was the son of god but he really wasn't then we have a problem right so either jesus was who he was or he wasn't there are a lot of people in this world that will tell you that yeah jesus is a real historical figure Matter of fact, CNN, back a few years ago, did a special on Jesus. They, they, they called it Finding Jesus, Fact, Faith, and Forgery. And in that, the idea was is that they were going to search for the historical Jesus. And, and in that, they were going to try to dive through and figure out what was fact, which was faith, and which was forgery. And, and so there's always this idea of wanting to know who Jesus really is. Now, historically, it is really, 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 really impossible to not say that there wasn't, or to say that there wasn't a historical guy named Jesus. Matter of fact, uh, that's honest. That's just being dishonest. From a historical standpoint, you're being completely dishonest if you start at a place of saying, well, this guy, Jesus, didn't exist. Because any historian, whether a Christian or not, will come to the conclusion, based upon the evidence that we have, that there's more evidence for historical Jesus than there is most of the other people that you learned about in world history and in U.S. history and everything else back when you were in high school. That's just a fact, okay? So there's others that say, well, yeah, we'll acknowledge that this Jesus guy was real, but he was just a teacher. 
And then there are others out there that will say, yeah, we'll acknowledge that this Jesus guy was real. Matter of fact, we'll even just go too far to say that he was this great prophet. But the problem is, is that the claims that Jesus made make saying that he's a good teacher very difficult. And the problem is, is that the claims that Jesus made make saying that he was a great prophet very difficult. Because if you conclude that Jesus was just a good teacher, or if you conclude that Jesus was just a good prophet, then the problem is, is somewhere along the way, you've got to come to the conclusion that Jesus lied about something. And that's a problem. So, with that in mind, what we're going to do is start right in Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to ask ourselves the question, who is Jesus? And we're going to answer it tonight and next week by seeing that he is the son of David. And so we're going to basically think about this. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about over the next six weeks that Jesus is the son of David, right? That Jesus is the son of man. That's another title that was given to Jesus. And that Jesus is the son of God. And and when we conclude that, hopefully the idea is going to be that then when we jump into some of the other things about Jesus, that you'll have an understanding and be able to wrap your mind around the fact of why Jesus ultimately is so important and how those three things really truly can wrap up, put a nice bow on who Jesus claimed that he was. So beginning in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zaar by Tamar, and Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David the king. Y'all want me to keep reading all those crazy names? Just because y'all want to hear if I can say them? I'm going to fake it whether I really know how to say them or not. All right, David was the father of Solomon by, by, by Sheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. By the way, there's some really cool, interesting people that have already been mentioned from the Old Testament here. We already got Ruth, and we already got Boaz, and we already got Rahab, you know, Rahab the harlot, that one. And then we've already got Bathsheba. Well, that was a problem with David, right? Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asa, and Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah was the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz. Y'all really want me to keep going? And Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Ammon, and Ammon the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, and at that time... The deportation to Babylon. Okay, so notice what we got tracking here. Number one, we got from Abraham to David. Y'all see that path? Then we got from David to the captivity in Babylon. Then we keep on. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shiltel, and Shiltel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud, and Abihud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor. It gets worse. Jeez. Azor was the father. I did not plan to read all of this. Thank you, first couple rows. By the way, nobody even sat on the first row tonight. I must have spit on them all last week. What am I, 14 now? Azor was the father of uh, Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud was the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of 
Methan, and Methan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, who we're getting close, was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. By the way, if somebody was trying to fake the story of Jesus and just trick us all for the rest of history and mankind, that's pretty stinking specific, isn't it? Literally the amount of generations. Just add that out there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that in this massive list of names that are hard to pronounce, that we know there's actually a reason why Matthew wrote this. Lord, help us tonight and even next week to see what it means for you to be the son of David. Lord, bless us as we look at your word. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So Matthew chapter 1 calls Jesus the son of David right out the gate. We find he's the son of Abraham and we find he's the son of David. You say, why is that important? What does that have to do with anything? Well, there's two ways that we see that Jesus ultimately in Scripture is the son of David. Uh, One of those ways is literally... Genealogically, he is the son of David. Through his lineage, he is a son of David. Does that make sense? Matter of fact, remember I said that in Luke, it's got a different lineage. There's somebody in the room right now that may just say, Hey, you just read this and you finished at Joseph. Joseph would have been Jesus' adopted father because God was his real father. I got that. Go read Luke because guess what Luke does? Luke also, through the lineage of Mary, traces Jesus back to guess who? David. Matter of fact, what Luke does is Luke doesn't even just start with Abraham. You know where Luke starts? With Adam. With Adam. If you were in here back a year ago, and some of you were, you'll remember that we talked about one of the ways that we know for a fact that we have to trust Genesis is because... The lineage of Jesus in the New Testament literally goes back to Adam. So either there was a real Adam or your hope and your salvation is out the door. Do you hear me? Either there was a real Adam or your hope and your salvation is not worth anything. Because we literally find in Luke, the lineage of Jesus traced not just to David, not just to Abraham, but all the way back to Adam. All right? So, somebody in here is going to be like, you mean that Joseph and Mary were cousins? Jeez, come on. That's a long way from Abraham, okay? And David, or from David. So anyways, there we go. Now, what does it mean for Jesus to be the son of David? Well, number one, there's this idea that he is literally, genealogically, the son of David. Number two, and we're going to get into this next week, he is typologically the son of David. Now you're like, what is typology? Well, that's a big, big, big seminary word for basically explaining this. Is that in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and in prophecies, a lot of times what we see 
is this thing called a type and an antitype. And what that means is, is that there is something that comes before something else. And the purpose of that something or someone is to point us to the something or someone else. Does that make sense? Right? So what we're going to see is a twofold purpose of Jesus being the son of David over the next two weeks. Today it's pretty clear and simple. He's the genealogical son of David. And we're going to see what that means. Next week it's going to get real fun. Because what we're going to do, and by the way, this really pairs well for some of you guys that are doing doll packs. And a lot of our doll packs are doing the material that takes them through the study of David. Because right out of the gate, what we're going to see is, hey, guess what? Not only are you going to be studying David, but for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus is the son of David. And next week, what we're going to see is, is how that David points us to Jesus in multiple ways. And how that Jesus fulfills a whole bunch of prophecies that David talked about. All right, so it's going to be really cool. We're going to look at some different Psalms and all that kind of stuff, and I'm pumped about it. But for today, what does it mean for Jesus to be the literal uh, genealogical son of David? Well, number one, here's what it means. It means that Jesus is part of God's covenant people. It means that Jesus is and was part of God's covenant people. In verse 1, it says, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What's that mean to be the son of Abraham? Y'all remember old Father Abraham? Anybody sing this when you're like a little kid? Or am I that old where I miss it? Okay, good. All right. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. This is great. Keep singing. I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord right off. We're not doing all that. All right. I already had to sing all these names. Say all these names. All right. Some of y'all are like, I, I either A, didn't go to church when I was little. Or B, I went to a church and we sure didn't sing that song. If you went to a church and you didn't sing that song, you're, bless you, all right? All right? Because eventually you get to turn around and do all kinds of crazy stuff and then sit down, right? When you were like six years old, man, it was amazing. You had no idea what you were singing about, did you? You was just like, I just know I'm going to get some cookies later, right? The reason that you were singing that you were a son or a daughter of Abraham is because the truth of the matter is, is that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you were tracking your lineage to Abraham through Jesus. Right? Because what the Bible tells us is that ultimately, that the church, that God's people now, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, have been grafted into, basically, this, this idea of being grafted into a tree. So I don't want to make it too complicated. But basically the idea is that you're grafted into the family of God. You're grafted into his chosen people. If you look in the Old Testament, you'll find that God's chosen people were the who? Somebody tell me. The Jews, right? And, and, and Abraham, who was Abraham? Abraham was this guy who first he was called Abram, right? And he had this brother named who? Anybody know? Lot, right? And Abram is told. What's Abram told? He's told, hey, I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldees and I want you to go to this land that I'm going to take you to and it's going to be amazing and it's going to be awesome and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless generations after you. And so Abram and Lot, they start heading that way, right? And we get a chunk of the Old Testament that talks to us about what happens to Abram. Problem is, is that Abraham has a son named who? Ishmael. Ishmael. Now, if you back up a little further, then you got the story of 
the Lot, remember the whole Sodom, Gomorrah thing, right? Because Lot says, hey, I need more space. And so Abraham's like, hey, okay, you go get your own space. And they end up in Sodom, Gomorrah, and all that good stuff, right? And then they have to leave town, and Lot's wife turns around. She turns into a pillar of salt. Y'all remember that story? Right? Okay, so here's, track with me for just a second. You've got to understand all this to understand why I'm talking about why this is important. All right? Ishmael was not the chosen son. Ishmael was a result of Abraham doing that which God had told him not to do. He was being disobedient. He wasn't holding on to the promise that God had given him, which was, through Sarah and you, you will have many children, and you will bless this earth. And your children and their 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 children children will be blessed. So then later, guess what happens? Abraham and Sarah have a child, right? Isaac. Remember, the story goes, Abraham is told to take Isaac up and to sacrifice Isaac. Y'all remember that? And he goes and takes Isaac up to sacrifice him. And the crazy thing is, is when we think about this story, we think about he must be like carrying like a four or five-year-old Isaac. At the very least, what biblical historians tell us is that Isaac at the very least was a teenage young man who's being obedient and following his dad up here to do this sacrifice and Isaac asked his dad what where's the lamb and what does Abraham tell him God will provide the lamb and guess what God did. Now here's the cool thing about Jesus being a son of David and it meaning that he is part of God's covenant people. Jesus, whose lineage is traced back through David, which is traced back through Abraham, was the lamb. He was the lamb. That day, God provided for Abraham a ram in the thicket. Y'all remember that? The thorns. But later, God would provide Jesus. Jesus. And here's what that means for you and me. What that means is, is that when we give our heart and life to Jesus, because Jesus is the son of David, which makes him also the son of Abraham, it means that you and I can be grafted into God's chosen people, his family. That's pretty cool. So therefore, when you're a five or six year old kid and you're going right arm, left arm, turn around, sit down, what you're really doing is singing about the fact that the promise that God had from his, for his people all the way back to the time of Abraham is the same promise that we're claiming today. Why? Because Jesus, as the son of David, was also the son of Abraham. So Jesus is part of God's covenant people. Not only that, but if Jesus is part of God's covenant people, God's chosen people, then that means Jesus is part of God's covenant and God's plan, which means that you and I have access to that. Abraham, as I said, was told all the world would be blessed through his lineage, and it is Jesus that fulfills this promise. So Jesus 
is part of God's covenant people. But secondly, Jesus, as the son of David, is positioned to reign on the throne of David. He's positioned to reign on the throne of David. Verse 1 says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, when somebody would have read this back in the day, they would have realized very quickly, especially a Jew that would have read this, not only the promises that were about Abraham, but also David. See, Jesus is called the son of David nine times in the book of Matthew. It's one of the most major focuses in the book of Matthew. Matter of fact, it's mentioned more in Matthew than any of the other Gospels. Eight of those times that it's mentioned, there's no uh, parallel passage in any other Gospel. Y'all understand what parallel passage means? I should probably explain that. You ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? You got the four Gospels, and there's certain times where something gets said here, and then here, and then here, and then here. That's parallel. They're running parallel together, right? Eight of the nine times... It's stated that Jesus is the son of David in Matthew. It's not parallel, which means Jesus or Matthew had this as a purpose and a point of his writing to explain to us that Jesus was the son of David. And if you were a son of David, you had a right to the throne. Now, what's interesting is the fact that somebody may say, well, why in the world did Matthew follow back through Joseph? I believe that when you look at this lineage, and other theologians believe this as well, that what we find is, is that, Joe, or that Matthew here is listing for us the legal and royal lineage for Jesus. Because if you notice, what he does is, he says it goes from David to who? Solomon. Solomon is the next king after David, right? You ever read Ecclesiastes? You ever read Song of Solomon? Right? You ever read Proverbs? Who wrote those things? Solomon. Right? Wisest guy ever walked the face of the earth, so they say. Right? That guy. Had a lot of wives. Right? That guy. And yet they still call him the wisest man to walk the face of the earth. Whew. I can make a really dumb joke that would work really well if this was a room of old people, so I'm not going to say it. So it's not just that Jesus gives us access to be God's chosen people because he's a son of David, i.e. a son of Abraham. But it is also, and this is important, you can't miss this, that Jesus had a right to the earthly throne of David. That Jesus had a right to the earthly throne of David. Now I'm going to come back to this when I close, but I want you to think about this for a second. What was it that Pilate asked Jesus? Anybody remember he asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And you know what Jesus said? He said, it is as you say. That's what he said. How could Jesus say that? Because the truth of the matter is, is whether you look in Luke, whether you look in Matthew, and we're focusing in Matthew here right now, obviously, but you find that as the son of David, Jesus had a right to the throne. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because think about how people missed the point of what Jesus was doing. People thought that Jesus, because he had a right to the throne, was going to establish an earthly kingdom. But Jesus said, no. He said, I'm not here to establish an earthly kingdom. Matter of fact, he tells Pilate, when Pilate asked him, 
about who he is and what he's doing. He tells Pilate, he says, I'm not here to establish an earthly kingdom. If I was here to establish an earthly kingdom, my followers would have taken care of business already. I'm paraphrasing. I get that. All right? And then he basically says, this kingdom that I got to come is not of this world. Literally, if you didn't catch it, what Jesus was telling Pilate is, is that the right to the earthly kingdom is mine. And if I came to establish an earthly kingdom, you might be dead right now, dude. But that's not what I came to do. I came to establish a kingdom that is not of this world. So when we see that Jesus is the son of David, we see that he is part of God's covenant people. We see that he is positioned to reign on the throne of David. But then we also see finally that he fulfills God's promises to David. He fulfills God's promises to David. How short-sighted we are sometimes. I don't want to get too much into next week, but have you ever prayed for something and God sort of tells you no, or so you think, but then you realize that in the process of God answering that prayer, He actually gives you something better? You ever had that happen to you before? See, what God's people wanted was for Jesus or anyone else, honestly, the Messiah, that's who they were looking for. What they wanted was for him to show up, kick the Romans out, reestablish the kingdom. That's what they wanted. That's what they desired. And, and, and that reason was because we know that in Psalm chapter 132, verse 11 through 12, David has promised that his son would sit on the throne again. Here's the part that they didn't understand. In Psalm 132, verse 11 through verse 12, it wasn't that David was just promised that his son would sit on the throne again, but it was also that he was promised that his son would reign forever. In Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33, Gabriel, the angel, declares that Jesus would sit on the throne of his father David. But guess what he adds to it? Forever. In Psalm chapter 2, verse 7 through verse 8, also referenced in Acts chapter 13, verse 33. This is just a few of these. I could go on and on and on and on. I have a notebook from seminary that has about three pages worth of these listed. You got what I'm saying? But we don't want to be here all night. David's sons are promised to reign not only over Israel, but over all the nations. Now, if you're short-sighted and don't understand this prophecy, it's very quick and easy to go. The Messiah's going to come. He's going to kick out all the Romans. He's going to sit on this throne. That idea of reigning forever, nobody lives forever. So that must be figurative language. But he's going to reign for a long time, not just over Israel, but Israel's going to become so great that guess what's going to happen? He's going to reign over the whole world. But remember what Jesus told Pilate. Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not earthly. That's what Jesus told Pilate. Jesus told Pilate, listen, I come to do something different. What I come to do is establish a kingdom that is not of this world. It's interesting that we find in John chapter 19 that Pilate wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. And it's interesting that the chief priest in verse 21 asked Pilate, please don't write that. Do not write the king of the Jews. And then he says this, rather... Write that he said, I'm the king of the Jews. And Pilate, in wisdom that he didn't know that he was spitting out, 
says these words. What I have written, I have written. Jesus was the king of the Jews. He had all right to that throne. But he desired so much more. And isn't it interesting that even in the midst of him doing what he was called to do and had to do to establish so much more, i.e. die on the cross and raise three days later, we see him given the title as the king of the Jews. Now you say, Tommy, wouldn't it have been easier if he just came in and taken over, kicked butt, taken names? You know what I'm saying? Like, right? Like, and then say, look at me, you got to follow me. Hey, I'm the son of God. This is my kingdom. No, you're right. From our minds, that might have seemed like it would have made a lot of sense. But that wasn't God's plan. And the cool thing about it is, is that God didn't just leave us hanging. He told us the answer to the rest of the story. Because when you turn to Revelation, what you find in Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 is that Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And in Revelation chapter 19 verse 16, it tells us that Jesus will return as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He has always had a bigger plan. Always. Always. So when we think about the fact that Jesus is the son of David, don't just stop and go, oh, well, yeah, that's his lineage. Don't just stop and go, oh, well, yeah, well, of course. Yeah, that means he could have reigned on the throne. No wonder people thought he was the Messiah. Don't just stop and go, well, no wonder his followers, man, they thought he was going to, you know, wipe out the Romans. But finish the story. Finish the story. Realize that what Jesus being the son of David tells us is this. Is that God's always had a bigger and better plan. He always has. And what we'll see next week is yes, there are some amazing things that we see about David. There's some messed up things we see about David too. Y'all will cover those in dog packs if that's the material you're using. But there's some amazing things we see about David. And David's going to point us to Jesus. And we're told that David is a man after God's own heart. And all of Israel was like, man, the Jews were like, man, we got David. And we got Solomon. Remember, this is the people who begged and pleaded for a king. Y'all realize that, right? God said, you don't need a king. I'm your king. And what did they do? They said, we want a king. And God said, you want a king? I'll give you a king. Tell me how it goes later. And he gave him a king. And guess what? Then God sends the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And you know what he does? Here's what he does. While he had a right to an earthly throne, he came as a humble baby in a manger. Born to the family of a carpenter. Right? From Nazareth. A place where they would say nothing good can come from there. He, he literally had no home to lay his head as he traveled about. 
performing signs and wonders and miracles and healing people left and right and teaching the thousands and feeding the thousands. But yet constantly being chased by the religious leaders of the day, looking and waiting for him to do just one thing. And the crazy thing is, the one thing they knew he would do and they wanted him to do, he had to do because of who he was. And that was to claim he was God. And so when he did, they said enough's enough. And he was arrested. And he was tried illegally in the middle of the night. And he was beaten. And he was placed on a cross. The one who deserved the throne room was placed on the cross. Not the death of royalty, the death of a criminal hanging between heaven and hell for you and for me. Why? Because you and I are sinners who are separated from an almighty God. And the only way that we can be forgiven of our sin and rightly justified was through the perfect, 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 perfect sacrifice of the Savior. Who despite deserving a throne, instead was nailed to a cross and given a crown of thorns. So when you think about Jesus as the son of David, I want you to think about what he deserved. And then I want you to think about what he humbled himself to give. And then I want you to remember that that's not the end of the story. Because three days later, he rose from the grave to go and be seated at the right hand of the Father in the throne room that he deserves. And Revelation tells us that one day he will return And on his robe will be written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So what do you do with that tonight? It's actually very simple. Don't you want to be part of that kingdom? Don't you want to be in a place where you are serving the one who deserves your worship and your praise? Don't you want to know Jesus personally? See, there's going to come a day where, see, there was a day where Pilate said, who are you? There's going to come a day where every person that's ever walked the face of this earth will kneel before God, will kneel before Christ himself, and they won't need to ask who you are because they will know And they will kneel knowing that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So today my prayer for you is simply this. Is that if you're sitting in this place tonight and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And you're asking yourself the question, who is this Jesus? And you say, Tommy, what am I supposed to take away from this? Jesus was a historical real figure who walked on this earth. 
as a literal son of David and Abraham. Meaning that he was one of God's chosen people. Meaning that he had a right to the throne. But yet, he did something bigger and better and greater. He fulfilled the promises that were made to both of them. He became the lamb that Abraham and Isaac were looking for. And he never had to sit on an earthly throne. Because one day he will be seen by all as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's who Jesus is. And so if you're here today, the best thing that you and I can do in response to that is today to make him our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. You say, Tommy, how do I do that? Remember earlier I told you that we've all sinned and that sin separated us and we needed a sacrifice and that Jesus was that perfect sacrifice? Remember that? But what the Bible tells us is that if we will acknowledge our sin and we will put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then the Bible tells us that we can be saved. The Bible tells us that we can be found back in right standing with God. The Bible tells us that the wages of our sin is death, eternal separation from God. But the Bible tells us that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the Bible tells us that if we will believe in our heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and we will confess with our mouth that He is Lord, the Bible tells us we will be saved. For with the heart we believe to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. So if you're sitting here and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, what you got to do is you got to believe in your heart. When the deepest pit of your life, that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that he came and that he died for you, and that you got to confess your sin to him and ask him to forgive you and to save you, turning from that which has held you away from him previously. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now I want to end with this image. When you think about a king during this period of time, when you think about David, remember what they said about David versus Saul? Right? They talked about how Saul had slain a few men. That's why I didn't sit on the front row because I just spit. I saw that. Saul had slain a few men. Now you're with me again. But David has slain a whole lot of men. That's what they said about David, right? Because the sign of a good king was what? It was how he could wield a sword. But yet, the one who is calling you isn't calling you wielding a sword Telling you that you either respond or your head's gone. That's not what he's saying. The one that's calling you doesn't have his armies here with their bows and their arrows pulled back ready to shoot you if you don't respond and surrender. No. The one that's calling you, he hung between heaven and hell. Saying the reason that I want you to surrender, the reason that I want you to make me king of your life, and Lord of your life, is not because I wield a sword. But what he's saying is, it's because I love you this much. 
that I would put all that to the side to come show you the sacrifice that I would make for you. You have a king who loves you. You have a king who is willing to die for you. Why don't you call him Lord today? Why don't you call him that today? Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you would like to know more about us, visit our Instagram at UGABCM or visit us on our website at UGABCM.org. We hope you enjoyed and we'll see you next time.